You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast, brought to you ad-free with the support of our patrons. Visit mashthosebuttons.com or stay tuned after the show for more details. Podcast about Warcraft story and lore. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm Gragthar Torn, hunter on Skywall US. And I'm Katie Clanker Goblin Resto Shaman on Earthen Ring US. And today is August 4th, 2021, and this is episode number 131. Yay! And we're doing it, we're gonna finish it. Yay! It's only been for um. two and a half months since it came out. I don't even remember how long it's been. It's fine. It's great. It's good. <laughs> We're, We're doing there. it. We're doing it. That's the point. It's not a Suramar. We managed to do it. I shouldn't say that. We haven't actually finished the episode yet. But some, <laughs> some books are a marathon and some books are a sprint. And this one is a this one is a marathon, but the finish line is here. <laughs> finish line is here. I like that. <sighs> so so before we get into that. Just to sort of follow up on, on in general, how how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Uh, I haven't been playing much WoW lately, um, just because it's been I've been taking a break. Uh, but I've been really enjoying seeing what like the news coming out. I've been checking up on like the models and stuff. Uh, so as far as like a WoW perspective, uh, I'm very much looking forward to Grimoire getting here because it's not here yet at the time of us recording. But my Amazon promises me soon. TM. So there's that. I'm very excited for Grimoire, you guys. I'm just throwing that out there. Kur- Kurabara sent me a message. He's like, hey, I got I got my notice from Amazon that uh, Grimoire shipping. And I'm like, yes. I, I don't believe in that. I, I've only seen references to it on the internet. I believe it's an internet myth like the Slender Man. And I don't think it's real. <laughs> like <laughs> like invisible? Yeah. It's it's just something, you know, they just talk about it on the internet. It's, it's, or the Headless you know, Horseman. Right. So let's go ahead. Um, I don't know. Do, do you want? Do Do we want to talk anything about what we talked about last week? About, um, uh, do we have anything I, to say about that? I guess just briefly. It's um, we've been. I've been watching the situation. Uh, I've been talking to people. Like I, I, I'm just happy, and I'm really proud of a lot of the employees that are in the community too. They're kind of, like everyone's kind of rallying together to um, fight for a big or not a big it will be a big change but for a better workplace environment so i guess that was just one of those things where like as this has progressed and moved on i've been really proud of people like kind of standing up and i haven't seen as much salt as i had expected there was some in the beginning but uh i don't know it's it's nice to see the the community as much as it feels like it's on fire at times like kind of come together for this at least i see that a lot on the developer side of things and a lot of people in the industry rallying around this point so uh i guess i wanted to add that little like tiny sprinkle of joy in there for those of you who may have listened to the last episode and have feelings like i do so uh i guess that's that's all i had for that yeah it's uh yeah i think it yeah i have nothing to add (laughs) (laughs) 
So let's just uh, let's just move on then. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, fa- fairy was it fairy tales of I don't even remember the name of the book now anymore. <laughs> it's folk and fairy tales of Azeroth. Like I always want to say folk tales for yes. some reason, and I'm like, because I think it's it. You want to say like folk tales and fairy tales because usually it's not just folk on its own. That's right. Well, I guess the problem is that the way it's the the folk. Like the tales applies to the fairy and the folk. It <laughs> sounds really weird. I'm sorry. I'm good. I'm sorry. I'm just really immature. We're good. <laughs> I don't get. I, I, I it just it just there. found it sounded funny to me. That's well, no. I, see, I'm thinking like in terms of math, and I can't think of the math term. But it's like basically you have to imagine it's like folk and fairy in parentheses, and then times the tales. And that you could write it out so it'd be folk tales and fairy tales, but you know it's it's words, the, the so the parentheses don't apply. It's not a math equation. The folk applies. No, the the, the tales applies to both folk and fairy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it just sounds funny when you say it that way. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it's it, it like it kind of rolls off the tongue when you're thinking about it. But when you're trying to recall the name of the book, you always want to say folk tales because that's like right. a knee jerk reaction. Uh, but anyway, yes. Right. So, uh, but so, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, let's get into it. Yes. So I believe I'm just flipping the page because I'm on the wrong page. The first one where we left off last time will be stones, moss, and tears is the one we're covering now because I think that's the last one. Yes. Oh, that was the uh, forsaken one. Was the one we ended on last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, we ended on the forsaken one about the the blowhard who got uh, <laughs> thrown in a catapult. Yes, that was an yeah. excellent tale. Uh, yeah, just a, a fun tale of, of appropriate comeuppance. Yes. <laughs> it's a very appropriate word for that story. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's not so much comeuppance in Stone, Moss, and Tears. Um, but this is this is the tale of, uh, well, you called it in the, the pre-show, the found family story. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a tale. There's the, the night elf who is you know has a crush on the other night elf well so, at least they're all night, they're all night elves aren't they they are <laughs> so so kada um i believe it's kada bloom ba- bloom blade excuse me uh is a sentinel who has their eyes on a mr torith if i have i mean they don't call him mr torith but i did um and they are going and they're seeking some potions uh, from their friend. I was trying to remember the the mixer's name. Hmm. It's in here. Uh, El Elrion. That's his name. That took me way too long. Oh my gosh. Um, but yes. So we have Kada, Elrion, and Torith. So Kada again is the sentinel. Um, yes. Uh, Torith is the one that she is pursuing, and then we have Elrion, which is the one that Kada goes to to get her potions. Uh, it's a it's a really cute story. Um, I should be I guess uh, I'll mention real quick here uh, that the author is um, Molly Knox Ostertag. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That is quite the last name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, this one is very much, as we said in the beginning, it's a very much a found family where Kada goes 
uh, to Elrion's to get potions from him, and they have lots of discussions, and uh, he's kind of the confidant when she's like, I don't know how to pursue this person. He's so amazing. And Elrion kind of goes, well, Kata, you're amazing too. Look at all these incredible feats you've done. And she's like, no, 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 no. They're really not anything. Like, how could I, like, how could I compare to him? Uh, and she gets it in her mind that uh, <laughs> she needs to start, like, performing these feats, because, um, Torith, if I remember correctly, is like uh, not a lore scribe, but he like writes the Sentinels' deeds down. Yeah. So like he's he like kind of transcribes their great deeds into this book or many books, perhaps as well. Uh, so they're recorded in Elven history, and so she's like, okay, I you know what I gotta do is I gotta keep like doing these great feats so I can keep going to talk to him, and that's how we're gonna woo him. And I'm like, I. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, like, very straightforward plane of thought. Instead of just, like, she's like, I can't court him the normal way. I have to, like, go and impress him and do all this stuff. Um, but she goes um, to Elrith um, a couple times. Or no. Elrion. Elrion. <sighs> Elf names. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she goes to him a few times. And at some point... He he's kind of like you know, maybe you just kind of need to like approach him and talk to him face to face instead of like giving these kind of, I guess like I wouldn't call them standoffish signals, but she's not giving um, uh, Torith very clear signals. I would say it, it felt very much like when you like somebody in like sixth or seventh grade, <laughs> and you're like, and you have no idea how to just be like forthright and be like, hey, why don't we you know, like hang out on Saturday or something? And you're like, no. So like, hey, can I can I ask you this question about your homework? Or hey, can you know uh, you know can I borrow a pencil or whatever? Yep. And like, you're not you're not actually engaging them in any way that indicates you're interested, but you're just engaging them, hoping like, oh yeah, if I just keep like they'll get the hint eventually, right? And it's like, no, like no, because but you're in sixth or seventh grade, you don't know that, right? And I guess that's kind of the point here is that. Uh, Kata is a bit of a, a naive young soul in a way mm -hmm. that she's just figuring figuring all this out. I guess the other big thing is that she's a trans character, yep. uh, and so she talks about a little bit about how her parents were disappointed that her son wanted to be a sentinel, and mm -hmm. or the, you know or their son wanted to be a sentinel, and, and she had to go through that whole transition and stuff. Yeah, um, which I should have but, probably mentioned in the beginning, but yeah. uh, I guess in a way like. That that puts like her uh I guess in a way I think of good words for this. Like it enhances the story so you understand that she has like dual levels of potential struggle here, right? Uh, it right. sounds like she's fairly confident in her identity, but still it's like, how do I do this? And I it's well, I don't know. I can I, see I the struggles. You can be confident in your identity and yet again, going back to like that sixth and seventh grade metaphor, like when you're engaging in memory right. like somebody that you're like that confidence goes completely out the window because you haven't figured out how to apply that confidence in this context. Right. No, I, I, I guess I just meant like, I, I didn't get the impression that, um, her transition was too much of a trouble, like oh. to herself in this story, which was nice. I was really glad to, to hear that, I guess. Well, no, I, th I think that the, the only important takeaway there is that I guess it it was a, a troubling to her family and that yes. she was kind of separated from them. Yes. Um, that's, like this story, I love this story. I think this might have been my favorite story in the whole book. Hmm. And I couldn't I couldn't grasp this story while I was reading it. 
Cause I kept waiting for like the other shoe to drop. Like something had to go wrong somewhere. Something cruel had to like, like some, like she wasn't going to get Torrent or like Elrion was going to prove to be some kind of like super creep. Something was going to be wrong here to, to, to like to, to, to sort of, put it all together and no nothing went wrong. like it was just a perfectly sweet little tale and she she you know she pursues torrent and then finally she's forthright with him and like hey and he's like oh yeah i'm kind of into you too and then they start hanging out and then she's like oh hey we should go talk to Elrion and and you know kind of bring him in our little you know little family and he's and they find out why he's been he was so standoffish because even then he was kind of warning her like be careful don't you know don't get your heart broken or whatever mm-hmm. and then you find out like oh well, he lost his family back in the day and so he's all by himself. And then that's how, like, you know, he kind of becomes the parental figure to them. And, yes. like, that's how they form their their found family. And it was just so sweet and really forthright. Was. And, like, once once I accepted, like, there's no, like, there's no bad part to this story. There's no, I, I, I don't want to say, like, there's no protag- like antagonist, I guess. I mean, because I guess. It was, it was a nice change of pace after the wailing bone. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> like this is on the opposite side of the spectrum which it was just like this nice palate cleanser of like everything going right and like it was just yeah it was just very tender very sweet and i don't know you're just like so happy it works for everyone like i guess the protagonist i guess well the protagonist in this story is like kata and and i guess you could say alrion and 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 torrent the antagonist is sort of just the the feelings of self-doubt and self-worthlessness hold them back from becoming a family. Yes. And once they overcome that, then they become a family and then everything is good. And it's just, it's such a wholesome story that I I almost didn't know how to process that because you don't get these very often. (laughs) As I said, it's a very, it's very different from like, that's one of the things I love about this book so far is every tale has been very different from the other tales. Um, like it doesn't feel like any two are really carbon copies of each other, or anything of that nature. Like each of them feels in their own dynamic way. They feel very different uh, and very memorable too. So I guess, yeah, <laughs> I keep saying the same things, but I'm like, that's uh, no, good. I, 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 I mean, I, I wholeheartedly, I mean, obviously I recommend all the stories in the book. If you're going to buy the book, read all the stories. But this, as I said, <laughs> I think, I think this one was my favorite. See, that's hard because like, I, I would say I have a favorite and I look down at the cover. I'm like, oh, but I really like that one. And I'm like, oh, but I actually really like this one too. And I'm like, there wasn't really any that I've read that I disliked. I didn't like that one that we talked about. <laughs> it's been a while. Okay. I like them all. I like them all. I was like, uh, did we? I was sitting there like, did we actually? Did you? Was there one you didn't like? Because I can't remember because it's been so long since we talked about them. Well, the best part of that is that you're you're just kind of looking and then I'm just kind of like, sh- like not shrugging, but like tilting my head. And you're it felt like a very like curb your enthusiasm, kind of like Larry staring at somebody moment. Like, <laughs> are you full of it? I'm trying to suss you out. like Real yeah. sus, Nick. Real sus. Yes. All right. Exactly. All right. So let, next up. We have the embrace by uh, yes. some new new author, Christine Gulden. Gul'dan? <laughs> Never heard the, of her. As, yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, so. Christine Gulden. <laughs> 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 That's 
going to be a, a new to Jada's Dreadlord deal here. <laughs> All I have to say is I thought this story was very well written. I think this Christine has a great future ahead of her, whatever she yeah. decides to do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think she has a, a real... Uh, ability to get characters through. You know, I, I bet she'd be really good if she wrote some stories for I would franchise. love to see her. I, I, I'm going to pitch this. It's a little bit out there, but a legal drama set in Warcraft, I'd like to see her try her hand at that. <laughs> I'm like, kind of thinking, I'm like, well, oh, um, did she write... But she wrote before the storm, didn't she? And, she wrote before um, the storm. She wrote. She wrote war crimes. That would be what I war was crimes. referring to. Oh, I was thinking of you were referring to the ones. Um, I think before the storm has like a. Is that the Sylvanas one? Where they? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. I have all of the books here except for that one, and then like I'm missing one other one, and I can't find them after I moved. You guys, it's driving me nuts. Wait, you um, can't find your copy of Before the Storm? No. That's that's funny because I can't find my copy of Before the Storm. That's kind of weird. That is weird. Hmm. <laughs> Someone clearly doesn't want us to discover so, something. Right. They're like, oh, no, you can never refer back to that book. Anyway. Anyway. anyway um, so th this book ends the, I guess, because the book started with the Torin creation myth. Yes. And this is the Night Elf creation myth. Yep. Yeah. This is the mother and the child uh, yes. for the two moons. Yeah, and, and how the mother, how how the child kind of goes off on her own a little bit every so often. And it's, it's basically to explain why they lost the moon in the game for like a few expansions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sometimes the blue the blue child's there and sometimes the blue child's not. And, and, I mean, to be she fair. She goes off and she comes back. Yeah. Like if they were talking... Like there's all those things where it's like in game it wouldn't make sense necessarily for like how long it was missing, but like you could say like the rotations, right? Like you know it they might be closer and so it rotates around the planet faster. So like sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't. But the uh, or maybe it's slower. So like maybe it's there for longer and then it's gone for longer. Whatever it is. Um, but yes, so uh, it was a really sweet uh, story, basically about how. Um, the the white lady um, uh, was lonely. Like she's like, oh yes, I, I love my duty. I love being up in the sky. I love watching my children. On like I love watching the Azeroth's children, right? Uh, but at one point, she's like, oh, I'm feeling really lonely. I I tried to talk to uh, I don't remember what they called the sun, uh, but and she talked to the stars in the sky, and she's like, but everyone has someone. Oh, well, the sun doesn't need anyone because he's. <laughs> kind of pompous but she's like oh i'm i'm envious of the stars because they all have each other uh, and so she sheds a tear if i remember correctly and it becomes the blue child uh, and she's so excited in the beginning to have this this child uh that she can spend time with and teach her things and she's just absolutely elated uh and then like nick says um in the middle of the story the blue child wanders off because the blue child has questions that the white lady answers and then like some of them she doesn't quite answer to the degree of the blue child's satisfaction. Uh, so the blue child decides to go off on an adventure. And when the white lady wakes up, uh, she's, you know, panicking. She's trying to find her child uh, and asking the stars, asking the sun, uh, you know, and then eventually the blue child comes back. So it's like kind of that nice, I don't know, like 
sweet beginning, conflict, sweet end sort of deals. Yeah. yeah no. I, I think as a, a lore podcaster, I, I empathize with the white lady because, you know, I'm sure you listeners, you have questions, you come to us and we can't answer them all. And it's okay <laughs> if you wander off and listen to other podcasts, but then you come back and we're all good. <laughs> Um, I'd never made that, uh, direct <laughs> comparison, but yeah, or, yeah, wow, it's, that almost hits a little too close to home sometimes. Uh, I, I, I do want to say it's interesting that we have these talks about tears because I, I think it was, a uh, it was the same thing too in, uh, in the Torin one that, yes. uh, that Anshe uh, Shed a tear and that became, was it Lushu was the name, I think? Yes. Or, yes. I think it's Lushu. And it's interesting, given the uh, the, the, the Ardenweald cinematic, mm-hmm. um, where we get a tear, and admittedly yep. the tear doesn't become a person, but like, there's power in, I guess, I, I, I don't want to say if there, it's like there's power in emotion, because it, it's, not, not emo- it's not necessarily emotion, it's not... Maybe it's sadness, but there, there's, there's a, I guess there's a power in tears, a power in crying. I guess that's why some of these stories are so, are so, you know, you, you have to cry at some of these stories. You know, somebody's cutting an onion while you're reading some of these stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the I guess the, the, there's a commonality to these myths, but also to what we've seen in the game that, you know, I mean, Elune's tear is a thing. Yes. That we've seen that, you know, that, that, that these tears have power, I guess, is, is, is kind of where i'm going with that well i think i think you were right i think i actually think that great emotion has great power on azeroth i mean look at the shah right like the shah are embodiments of negative emotions but like grief for example right like when their grief either the white lady or anche's grief is so high it can form another be like it crystallizes into a new being like it that is a definite theme in Azeroth is like grief uh, and the crystallization of tears, like that kind of thing, uh, either healing or uh, becoming new creatures or whatever it is. Um, they're definitely prevalent throughout the entirety of the lore. So that's it's very interesting. I think Azeroth is kind of special insofar as it feels like emotions are a very strong part of the story. Um, like. You think about like the orcs' bloodlust, right? Their rage, uh, in like the Torrens' gentleness. Like there's that's a, there's a very strong theme throughout all of Warcraft, uh, using emotions, um, to tell the story. Uh, and I, <laughs> I mean, people are kind of like, well, duh, you know, if there's no emotions, people aren't going to relate. But, um, I thought that they did that particularly well. And again, yeah, I thought the the tear was interesting because we always see a lot of those. Well, not a lot, but enough that you're like, hmm. The, is the white lady a loon? I I don't know if it's. I think the white lady is the moon, but like it's one of those like it's like is the moon a loon? Is mother moon? Yeah, or, right. Or, I like so, because that would that would be another instance of a loon's tear in this right. case becoming its own thing, right. unlike you know the other loon's tear, which is just kind of a, a relic, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, but maybe she's had a lot of tears. Well, could it, could it be? I mean, especially I guess going back to the original Loon's tier, the 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 one from Legion. Mm. Uh, could that be some sort of remnant? Could that from when she 
had the tear that formed the the blue child like could that not necessarily the tear that formed the blue child because i guess the, the tear was the blue child but like did this tear come off of the blue child then and that's how we get the little tiny tear kind of thing like did, did it come from that event or did a loon i mean it's not like a loon only cried like one or two times like i'm sure she could cry you know, <laughs> she's probably putting those little like visine drops or whatever in so she could cry <laughs> on, on demand but i mean um, i could see it that like okay and this is all like my own theory based on what you just said but i could see it happening where a loon does drop a tear and it hits azeroth or it drops to Azeroth, and the blue child forms, maybe not technically from Azeroth, but really from the soil of Azeroth or whatever, um, and is then up with a loon, but that's how the tear stays on Azeroth. I, I don't know, do we know if or when a loon gifted the tear to the Night Elves? I'm not, I don't remember that part of the story. No, I don't think we know that. I, think I don't think so. It's just always kind of been there. <laughs> like a lot of things in the lore, it's just ambiguous. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> For a race that was nigh immortal, I, I feel like there should be more than like, oh yeah, I was there for that. Yeah, right? Like there's so many of them that are like, oh yeah, like, you know, the first time the Burning Legion came here, like, I was there. It's fine. Jara betrayed us. I was there. Like, it's, it's like, what is it? Like the Night Elf Society is like 10,000 years old. And I feel like all the Night Elves there were just born. They were all like in their, like their, their like 20s or whatever when like the, the War of the Ancients happened. And like, that's when like, there's like nobody older than them than that. Well, yeah, that's because they didn't age. Like I think they right. aged to a certain point and stopped, but, but then but, yeah. But like what like what how old is the oldest night elf? I think Gerard is one of the oldest who was um is it Shadow Song? I'm trying to remember his last name. Oh, uh, Jared Shadow Song. Is is that is that right? Is that is his last name? Well, there's a Jared Shadow Song. I don't know okay. if that's who you're talking I about. I think so. Um because he was one of the the leaders of like the resistance in um, uh, the well of eternity, the book. Sorry, yeah. Uh, and it's I remember Maya's brother, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, I remember them talking about it. I don't remember which. It might have been the Shattering or Storm Rage, one of the Cataclysm books. They talked about how he was one of the, he was ailing, like he was getting old, and that the in one of those two books, I think, or it might have been. I don't think it was Thrall. Um the first night elf died of being old age, right? So, like, that was a big thing. They're like, people are dying now, and that is a new concept to us. <laughs> so, like, we don't know what to do. Uh, and it's actually interesting because it, it makes me wonder if they needed to figure out a new, like, ritual for, like, helping people. Like, like funeral ceremonies, right? Because I'm like, oh, if someone just, like, dies because they fell off a tree... Is it the same funeral service that you give to someone like died of old age? Like it's one of those things that they probably haven't had to consider before. Uh, and I don't know why I morbidly considered that now, but I did. Well, the, the reason I ask is just because like, I, I've always had a problem reconciling the night elf myths hmm. because like the, the way the mythology works is like, you know, back before we can remember, like, here's what happened. And we kind of made up this tale and now it's passed down from generation to generation. And if you can live for 10,000 years, so subsequent generations are being born and you're still around, that game of telephone that happens yeah. that kind of shifts the myth and, and changes it, it doesn't necessarily happen because especially – it, not just that the Night Elves live for like forever basically, but there's no indication that they suffer any mental like decline. Like right. You know, like they can – like if you go to any like Taronda now and ask her like, hey, what happened in the War of the Ancients? 
she should pretty much remember most of it. Like, you know, I'm, 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 you know, it's kind of like, you know, it might be like asking like, Hey, what did you do like 20 years ago or something? And like, yeah, I remember some of that, you know, mm-hmm. you know the, the, but the big stuff, the important stuff, you'd be like, Oh yeah, I remember this. I remember that. And so like, I, like, I, I guess if as a human approaching a myth and thinking about how it changes and how it's meant to reflect the time, uh, you know, to come from a time before under, an understanding of certain, you know, nature you know nature and, and science and whatnot to look at the the night elf myths i just keep feeling like like you know like even like uh was it a loon and uh a loon and malorn giving birth to scenarius right yeah like i feel like the night elf should have been there for that like there should be somebody who's like oh yeah i was sitting there on the, the beach i saw the whole thing <laughs> and you should still be around and and so i i, I kind of i kind of struggle with understanding because especially too like azeroth Especially, you know, given Chronicle, it doesn't seem that old. For as long as the Night Elves live, you think Azeroth would have to be like, like gazillions and gazillions of years old, and it's it's not that old. Well, like, so that's one of those things that I wonder about, um, especially like how the Night Elves came from the the trolls, right? Uh, like that that group that factioned off. I'm like, up until like how many thousands of like. I don't know. I was like trying to figure out like how long lived the trolls were. And, like I think it just like kept going and going. But like at some point there'd be a decent crossover, you would think, between like what we recognize today as elves and then like in between troll elves. Um and not that, that that happened anytime in our like the recent Azerothian history, but it makes me wonder like if there there must have been a time when there was like an infusion in their society of both. Um so- because they became more and more long lived. Well, I guess that's an interesting point then, because okay, so if the trolls predate the elves, obviously, mm-hmm. then does that that mean that these myths are troll myths that then were passed down to the elves, and then at that point they become elves and they live forever, and so now this all happened during the time when trolls ruled the earth. See, this is one of those things where, like, and I apologize deeply if this is incorrect, but I don't remember any troll creation myths. Like, I remember I wrote one for fun once, but, like, I don't know that I can recall any off the top of my head. Like, there might be a quest somewhere that I'm forgetting, but largely I don't think we've heard a lot of theirs. Um, I mean, I know that they have high reference for the Loa, but it's one of those where it's like, I don't know if they have creation stories about their Loa or anything like that. That would be really interesting. But it would be interesting from the standpoint to know like how they have potentially changed and impacted the night elf culture. I kind of think since the night elves uh, began worshiping like solely a loon for the most part, and then the, um, the wild gods uh, after that, um, which I mean, that kind of like makes sense with the trolls and the Loa sort of thing, like that culture coming over. Um, uh, I, I think like maybe their mythos started to shift to specifically rotate around a loon instead of like, what, for lack of a better word, like the, the pantheon of um, uh, wild gods uh, or Loa. I'm confusing myself. Hold on a second. <laughs> like What I'm trying to say is like I could see how their creation myths would shift and like just to focus on a loon for the most part. And then like have I don't want to call the wild gods lesser deities because I don't know that they think of them as lesser, but like secondary in some aspects. Well, well it seems very much that Elun is always kind of aloof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. She's like the Titans and these guys. Yeah. Like, they, the, they, uh... like, or like she might, 
get involved slightly, but I mean, look at like the Night Warrior stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's like, you know, or even like Ysera when Ysera died, like, you know, you yeah. see the moon kind of show up in the sky and then some, you know, magic stuff happens, but she's not actually there interacting, talking to people. Mm. Whereas the old gods, not the old gods, the, uh, the wild gods rather are very much tangible. You can go visit them. Yeah. You can go, you know, worship them directly. Same with um, the Loa. Mal- Mal- yeah, same thing with the Loa. Like Malfurion is like buddy buddy with Cenarius. Yep. Like, you know. So it makes sense that it makes sense to consider them to be lesser because it's like, oh, well, look at a loon, you know, way up in the sure. sky. You know, she never comes down here. She never walks around. You know, so you could kind of be like, okay, like clearly they're all in service to her, but at the same time, it's like, no, like I'm gonna be more invested in the the, the wild gods anyway because they're here on right. a regular basis. I can, you know, physically touch them, whereas I the moon is still a bit conceptual. Yeah, I was gonna say because, like, if you think of like the War of the Ancients, right? Like all of the wild gods came to fight in the War of the Ancients and pr- protect and defend Azeroth from the Legion. Right. Um, so, like, that's one of those things where it's like mm. I could see, like you're saying, those being much more tangible, but the in a Oh, I can't even say that word. Enigmatic. Enigmatic. Thank you. I struggle with that word. I shouldn't even try and say it. Yeah. Nobody just well, saw the gesture I made. I realized that. Alun was involved in the War of the Ancients in her own way. In her own way. But like, I'm not as directly as the Wild Gods, I think, in a lot of ways. Although she was there, like Taranda was calling down um, favors for Mother Moon. I think she was healing, and I would—I can't remember if she was doing Nightfire spam, but I wouldn't. Moonfires, Moonfire spam. I need to play a druid again. It's been too long. Yeah, I think it's Moonfire spam. <laughs> yeah, and you—you—you you, you, you had uh, Holmheim Mountain running around, so it was all—it yes. was all good. Yep. Yes. Yep. You had the Torin, had the Wild Gods. Lots of everybody. Yes. Then you have the trolls on the other side of the world just drinking out of pineapples being like, this is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Have no idea what's going on. Uh, Which is probably not true. There are probably minor invasions that we didn't hear about, but. All right. Move on. (laughs) Yeah, let's move on then, I guess. I I think we talked about that one enough. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say that yes. actually the trolls are a good segue. Uh, the Zandalari specifically are a good segue to the next one uh, because this one is about a Boralus. So, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is Why the Mermaids Left Boralus mm-hmm. by Tamsin Mir. Yes. Yes. So, why did the mermaids leave Boralus? <laughs> well. So, okay, the, one of the things that I want to point out in this mythos that I really enjoyed is that they, the, the mermaids, they say, are born with a set amount of magic in them, uh, and they can use their magic to do various things. It sounds like um, uh, hold back like water and do things like that. Um, some other, like, I don't want to say like lesser things. It sounds like they can like move, I think, some of the earth like in the ocean. Um, but the point there being is once they use up their magic, they turn into sea foam, like they're gone. They they die, um, and so I thought that that was a really cool way to explain why there aren't any mermaids. Because of course there was a, um, well, I think there are mermaids still, sort of. Well, yeah. Anyway, I'll let you do this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I have so many thoughts. I'm like, I we, we well, no, I just first. well. No, because I, I, I guess I guess that's the whole thing is it's like, OK, you're going to introduce mermaids into the, you know, the, the greater, uh, you know, co- 
not cosmology, uh, like uh, lore, uh, beast. Lore. They're not beasts, but like they're not no general um, denizens of Azeroth. Ecology, ecology. Yeah, that's the word I'm ecology. looking for. Yeah, the ecology of Azeroth. And Although we knew no, they but, were there though, because there's a mermaid skeleton in uh, Coltiras somewhere on one of the. Beaches. How is there a mermaid skeleton if they all turn into sea foam? I know. When they okay, die? I don't. Okay, to be fair, I think the mermaid skeleton was there before the story was written. But like, <laughs> I mean, if they just had a lump of sea foam there, I'd be like, "Well, that that's gross." Any, yeah, that, that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. No. Uh, well, no. I I almost feel like mermaids are, are like, or at least mermaid skeletons are some kind of like false. Yeah. Uh, like false thing planted by the Naga to throw people off their trail. Like, oh, we're just going to, you know, just here's a mermaid skeleton. Aha, but not really. And then like the Naga are off doing something else. That's the problem, I guess, that I have. I shouldn't say, not the problem, but like that that's where I kind of get hung up with, with the concept of mermaids and Azeroth. Hmm. As much as you can get hung up with the concept of anything, but <laughs> right. like the Naga are so prevalent in the oceans, or at least as far as we can tell. And maybe it's just that we're only going to the Naga hotspots. We're not going to like, like maybe just like there's Najatar for the Naga. There's like some mermaid city somewhere that we could go hang out and there's no Naga. They're just mermaids. And like, that might be cool. Uh, Cause I, I guess mean, it is a big ocean. And I mean, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know, it just feels like we would have seen mermaids at some point, like when we were in Nazjatar or I mean, in Vajir. Okay, okay. To be fair, they do talk about, not not that specifically, but in the book, um, they talk about how the native denizens of Boralus were very fearful of mermaids. Like, they're like, ah, you know, they're trying to drown us. Like, a lot of times the mermaids would try and save and protect them, but a lot of the sailors would misinterpret some of the things they were trying to do as uh, the mermaids trying to harm them and like their their thing was like ah like how did they put it like oh there's a storm it must be the mermaids like trying to drown us or something so like eventually their thoughts of the mermaids kind of twisted into this idea that they were trying to harm humans and every time you see one it's bad luck uh, which isn't true and they do a good job setting that up in the beginning of the story right um but like it's one of those things where because of that because the mermaids have had interactions with humans and well, the mermaids uh, minus the main character mermaid, who we'll talk about in a moment here. Uh, really, they, they warn against going to the surface and like hanging out with humans. Cause they're like, you're going to get killed. Like you're they're, they're It's, it's not going to be good. So I can see the mermaids, like the rest of the mermaids, whatever rest of them exists, uh, sequestering themselves away somewhere that no one would find them. And they, very well might be on like neutral terms with the naga so the naga are like whatever i don't know i mean i, don't <laughs> know. I, I find go ahead i find it hard to think the naga are on neutral terms with anybody but i mean maybe i mean i don't know yeah yeah they're, they kind of like to enslave everything <laughs> i mean even the like the good naga like lady vosh she's still kind of a kind of an a-hole ah lady vosh <laughs> yeah yeah. 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 Actually, the Naga, well, the ones that are the first generation of ones turned from night elves, because there must be some still, like Ajara. You'd think that they'd have really, I wonder if they have, if their creation myths have changed or if they still keep the same ones, because I don't think they worship a loon. Sorry, that was a random thing, but now we're talking. <laughs> No, it's, I think that's a valid question. But I th again, the problem is that because you have all these elders who were alive for so long, mm. you know, if someone was like, oh, no, I think like the moon came out of the sea, like 
you know, like whoever actually was there and used to be a night elf to turn into an og is just going to slap him in the back of the head and be like, no, it's, it's you know, it's Mother Moon. Shut up. <laughs> it's like, it's a giant pearl in the sky. And he's like, whack. He's like, that's Mother Moon. Be nice or be yeah. respectful. Uh, anyway. Be, be, be right. Like, you know, yeah, get, right. get, get your story straight. <laughs> Stupid. He's like, I'm only six days old. Leave me alone. Well, no, but now I wonder, though, because, again, the Naga were introduced into the oceans. They weren't sort of a natural denizen of it. Right. Was there, like, a great Naga mermaid war as, like, the Naga came down and then they started basically colonizing the ocean while the mermaids were just like, hey, we're just trying to hang out and be mermaids. What's going on? Well, if you think about it, we've actually introduced two major species into the oceans. We have gill goblins and Naga, uh, neither of which were uh, natural introductions. So we don't really know what's in the ocean besides those two. And that's because both of them can go on land. Like, I would love to see an expansion underwater. I know people hated the mechanics of being in Bashir. I loved Bashir, but it'd be really neat, honestly. I think. Um, But yeah, I think it's a really unexplored territory. I bet there's a lot in Azeroth's oceans. So a lot we don't know about. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's mermaids there, too. There could be. There's room for mermaids in that. I mean, like, because the way that I kind of interpreted the story as such, if mermaids actually do exist or did exist uh, in Warcraft at any given point, and that's not just a tall tale like it is in our world, um, like, this is probably only a clan or a tribe of mermaids that got largely wiped out. I probably should go through the story <laughs> before uh, ruining parts of it. <laughs> well, I guess the other one other thing to point out, though, too, is that this... See, I guess if you want to talk about like myths and stuff, and I think one of the things we've tried to look at is who's telling th- these stories, is that this is very much a myth told amongst the, the denizens of Boralus. And so yes. now we're into the realm of humans that you can have those myths that do change from generation to generation. You can have those myths that maybe they go back a few hundred years, but uh, you know, you're not going to know the origins necessarily because we're, you know, we're used to human lifespan. So this very easily could be, you know, it could be like a human myth. There could be a little, you know, game of telephone. You know, maybe maybe this was an incident that started with the Naga and then over the years it became mermaids. And, and you know, whatever rumors of mermaids are there are just because of run-ins with the Naga. Right. And that's, uh, well, and don't forget there's, um, what are the, the sirens, I think? Like we do have oh, sirens yes. as well. Yes, that um, is true too. And I believe those are natural creatures to the sea. Like, we, as far as I know, I don't, and I didn't go through uh, as much of, it's been a while since I did Legion's um, uh, Alliance story type, but I don't know that they ever touched much on the origins of the Siren or much about them at all, as far as I know. So anyway, that was a bit of an aside, but I was, the whole time they're talking about mermaids, I, I, was, I had to think about like all the other denizens of the ocean and I'm like... There's a whole like ecosystem here that we know nothing about lore wise, and it just drives me up the wall because you know right. I gotta know everything. Anyway, anyway, so uh, <laughs> we'll get into the story here. Uh, but we have two characters. We have ha- Halia, I think is her name, uh, and she's the mermaid. And then we have Eerie, who's the tide sage. And so um, Halia is uh, a mermaid that's very much reminds me of Ariel, where she's very curious and interested in humans. Um, and she likes to follow, she likes to watch the, I think the flags on the ship, if I remember correctly, as they come in and out of the harbor. She likes to see all the bright colors. Um, but at one point, she is following a boat and she meets Eerie, which is the Tide Sage that is, uh, like, Tide Sages are, are 
responsible for helping the boats navigate the the rough seas. Um, and Aria is like one of the best tide sages, and she's very uh, how do I say? She's very focused on her job. Uh, and so, like, even when she would see Helia, like, in the water, she's like, oh, no, don't don't hurt the mermaid. Just leave it be. Right. Like, it's it's fine. Like, we have more we have bigger things to worry about. Uh, and so eventually Helia starts, like, leaving little presents for Eerie, which is really cute. Uh, and. I don't know, it's, it's a very cute story <laughs> until the end. <laughs> um, well, it's cute at the end, too. Uh, but anyway, they, so they start um, leaving presents for each other and they kind of start a friendship and then they kind of find out that they're into each other, which is cute. And then a giant storm happens. Um, I don't think I missed that, right? Yeah, no, I think I, you're right. OK, yeah. I was trying to remember if there was a, a storm where the, the ship got in a storm. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but yes, there's a giant storm that threatens to overtake uh, the, the harbor that Eerie's in and Eerie like stands up and she's trying to like hold all of these massive tidal waves back uh and everyone's like all the tide sages are either tiring out or they're they're fleeing uh the ones that were supposed to be helping her like hold this um this siege of water off uh and so eerie comes to her rescue and starts using her mermaid magic but eerie is starting to you know, not have much magic left. And so all of these other mermaids, like old, young, whatever, all of them start coming to help. Uh, and they're using all of their magic to hold off all of this immense amount of uh, water to protect the, the denizens, right? And so the mermaids are starting to use up all their magic and they're turning to sea foam and they're dying. Um, but eventually the siege ends, or like the this horrible storm ends, and Eerie winds up dying. Uh, and at one point in the story, Halia had said to Eerie, like, hey, you should become a mermaid. And that, like, the way you do that is you cut your feet and you throw yourself in the water. And supposedly that you, you grow mermaid fins uh, instead of having land feet. So Halia um, um, is so horribly upset by Eerie dying that she she cuts her feet and she drags her down in the water. And there's a bunch of people on the boat and they... They're like, what happened? And they're kind of like watching. And then you see both of them pop up. And so Eerie turns into a mermaid at the end and they can go live happily in the ocean. And Katie's like, who's cutting onions in here? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, I think, it's, it's, again, I can't say any of them are my favorite. Well, except the Goblin one, because naturally I love that one. But this one was, this, oh, I can't even have a second place because they're all so good. But this one like really... It really hits me where I live, you guys. Like, this one was really cute. So, um, what did you think, Nick? I, I liked it. I thought, uh, as I said, uh, other than just trying to piece mermaids into, into Azeroth, I thought, I thought it was a nice little story. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the problem sometimes with some of these, is that the, I know that they're stories, but then I'm always, like, sitting there comparing it to known lore and, like, trying yeah. to, like, I don't know. See well, what think, fits and what's new and that kind I of stuff. I think that's in inherently the problem with a book like this is that if you have like, you know, folk and fairy tales of Earth, we know they're all superstition and wives mm -hmm. tales and, you know, there's like maybe like a shred of truth to them, but they're all fictitious. Right. You know, unless, unless you want to believe, unless you, you know, you want to believe in like the supernatural and whatnot, but on a place like Azeroth, like the supernatural is mundane. Like it's there every day. There's people, you know, conjuring mana biscuits and stuff. Right. And right. so, <laughs> you know, so when you encounter a, a book like this, like how much of it is myth, how much of it is real? Like 
the events in this book could legitimately have happened. This could be an actual factual retelling of an actual event that happened in Borales. Or it could be, you know, like a, a bedtime story that somebody in Borales told to one of their kids. And now it's grown into something a little bit more substantial over the years. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that's just pretty much I don't want to say it's the problem that I have, but it's like it's really hard to figure out. Yeah, where the line yeah. is. <laughs> well, and then that's I guess. You know, that makes our job of talking about it a little bit different because right. we, you know, our inclination is to sort of parse everything out and, you know, figure out like, okay, how does this piece fit into the lore that we know? And, you know, and they've done some stuff with unreliable narrators. Yes. You know, in the last few years. But here, like, the narrators are, you know, to say they're unreliable is an understatement because the story itself may have no factual underpinnings. And it, yeah. What do you do with that? The author may, or the the teller may not even be existent. Like the whaling bone, right? Is right. supposedly told from the spirit now trapped in the whaling bone. Um, so it's yeah, yeah. <sighs> but so like this, I think the things that I like to try and parse out of these stories, for example, like the Volpira one, uh, is some of like the cultural stuff we get to pull out. Um, because like in those stories, when they're talking about things like um, moving their their deceased ones around that sort of thing uh that makes me think that it's like it's a story to explain why they do something in their culture right so like okay that's part of their culture that i would like to think we can say is something they actually do in game um well the next one we're going to talk about is kobolds um and uh like them like a lot of times kobolds don't go to the surface and so like them not knowing what the sun is for example is a really interesting concept that might be true. Like some kobolds might be so far down in the earth. They don't know what the sun is. That was hilarious. That was, uh, that, uh, was that. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what, what is this? Cause the, it's called the courageous kobold and the wickless candle. Yes. And, um, so, uh, the, let's see, it is by Allison irons. Uh, and this one was also another very sweet story. Yes. Well, no, I, I think, well, this story especially, I mean, because it's a tale of a bunch of kobolds and they're down, you know, like digging their way out because there's the one young kobold who kind of gets himself stuck. Yeah. He's got to dig his way out. And it, it, it sounds kind of like, he, you know, he loses track of his, his orientation. And so he starts digging and he winds up digging his way out into the open world for the first time. Well, so so it's it follows um, Twig, which is the, the girl uh, kobold and Tallow. And what happens is Twig has a grandmother that tells her the story of the wickless candle. And she's like, I, I want to tell this to all of the, what they got soft, soft paws or soft pads, I think uh, for like, that's what they call like younger kobolds. Right. So she's sitting there during story time before bed, telling them the story of the wickless candle and they all get excited. And so a younger kobold comes up to her named Tallow and Tallow's like, I believe you. Like I should say that her, her father kind of did this like pod, like don't put stupid ideas in their heads. Cause you know, that if you try and, um, uh, let's see, I was trying to find the quote, but essentially it's like, if you dig above your snout, I think it's like your candle will be put out or your candle will be snuffed out. Like, don't dig above your head because then it could cave in on you, right? Uh, and so after the story, Tello's like, I believe you. I'm like, we should go look on, like for the uh, the wickless candle, let's go on an adventure. Uh, and they go to bed and twig wakes up to find tallow missing and it turns out tallow's like i'm gonna go look for the wakeless candle i'm gonna dig like straight up and there's a cave in and all of the kobolds are like oh 
uh, Tallow's candle has been snuffed out, meaning they think he's dead. And Twig is like, no, 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 no. He must be alive. Like, I believe he's alive. Like, I'm going to go find him. And so she sets out to find him. uh, And what's interesting to me is that I I didn't know this, but these kobolds, at least, are terrified of the dark. Like, they don't. That's why they had the candles, right? Is they like the dark is one of the most terrifying things to them because it's all encompassing. And I think to a lot of them, it feels like death. Um, uh, and that's just my own interpretation a bit. But um, I, this is me like interpreting stuff we know from kobolds in the lore. It was just really interesting to me because I'm like, you'd think they'd encounter the dark a lot, like their candles would go out and stuff. So um, that was like a cultural thing I didn't know about kobolds is that they're I think at least it's probably extends beyond these kobolds that they're afraid of the dark. Um, but anyway, so she goes to find him. She actually does find him. I should say that before she leaves, she goes to her grandma and her grandma gives her her mining pick. Uh, and she finds Tallow, but not before her own candle goes out. And she's just like terrified. She's like, it's dark. I don't know what to do. I'm stumbling around. Uh, and when she finds him, they're both like tired and hungry and feeling a little desperate. And suddenly she sees these little, like this little beam of light. And she doesn't know that it's light, but she's like, there's a little speck of something. And so she takes her pickaxe and starts swinging at it. And they break through to the surface and they find the wickless candle, which is the sun. Um, And they find these beautiful flowers everywhere and they get all excited. But, you know, she's like swinging her pickaxe at the sun. She's like, I can't bring the wickless candle down. It's like stuck to this blue sky or this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the blue 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 ceiling of the cavern. Yeah. And that's that's funny that they couldn't comprehend what they were seeing in, the, in that way um, i thought that was very well done yeah no, but it's interesting though the, the, the way that this story is presented in that it starts off with the grandmother telling a myth to the children yes. and then the children having to you know basically they're doing what we're doing they're picking at the underpinnings of the myth to determine well what's true what's not what can we actually use to you know inform our world hmm. and then acting on that so it, it, it's you know, it's interesting that for us, us having that conversation a moment ago, now we've got a story that kind of ex- explores the same thing about, like, you know, where do these myths come from? And I, I personally am always a sucker for a myth within a myth. Yes. Although in this case, it turns out that it wasn't a myth. It was a true story. But, like, since none of the other kobolds had seen the wickless candle that the grandmother had found, because, like, the way the story is told, her the grandmother's story is told that she she somehow dug up very slowly for like years and years and years, like at a, an angle, like a very, uh, I guess, low angle. So she would have cave-ins. She eventually made it to the surface, but then she couldn't find her way back. Like once she got to the surface, came down, she couldn't find her way back up like that tunnel. So she couldn't take people to the surface to go see the wickless candle. She, she lost that somehow. Um, she lost the tunnel, I should say. Uh, but, like, that's what makes her story great is, like, everyone's like, oh, no, that's definitely a myth. Like, you're just hallucinating, old lady. Like, it's fine. Uh, that it's, it's the real story. I, I'm a sucker for stories, like, the mythos stories that always turn out to be true within a story. So, and someone's like, oh, yes, there's this, like, great, majestic, wild god deer. And someone's like, that's crazy. There's no such thing. And then someone goes into the forest and they're like, there's a great wild god deer. Well, even then, though, you... you- you ha- well, see, we have the context here because we understand. Oh, they came out into the into the world and they right. saw the sun in the sky, and so. But but we also have the context to be like, well, they don't have that right. context, and so we can understand how they would misinterpret everything, and and the way they misinterpreted it all makes sense. And mm-hmm. the thing is, though, when you look at say the mermaid story, we don't have the context to know what we're misinterpreting there. 
Yes. That let's say that the, there was an event that that mermaid story is based off of. We don't know. You know, the the narrator is contextualizing everything for us, and we don't know what they're misrepresenting in that case. Right. Yes. And and so it, it's 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 in, this story is an interesting inclusion because it's kind of a meta commentary on the book in a way that it's like you're getting information here, and it is so, you know, it's so scattered and encoded that you're not going to know what information you're getting. Mm-hmm. Also, let me say, I just absolutely am tickled that they added a story about kobolds. So I like when they <laughs> add, I like when they add stories about non-playable races, because I feel like that really fleshes out the world, because we don't get a lot of those. Like, we get little quest hubs every now and again. Like, we got that friendly kobold uh, quest hub. I think that was... Um, uh, up in not Thunderbuff, uh, the high, high mountain. High mountain. Where, I was like, yeah, <laughs> right race, the, wrong zone. <laughs> right where the, where the darkness was literally a a thing to be feared. Right, exactly. So like, it's one of those things where it's like this was fun, and I wish we get more of those. So, like, I'd almost love a, a folk tale story told by like like Frenzy Heart Tribe or the Oracles or um, the Furbog, like because. We get well. Actually, we get more furbog interaction than just about any other non-playable race. But, um, but yeah. Anyways, um, well, the one other thing I just want to say about like the races, like the Frenzy Heart and the Oracles or the Kobolds, is that because their lifespans are so much shorter. Like, I don't hmm. think Kobolds live that long. I don't think so. It, it makes the myths more malleable. Mm-hmm. That they have more generations to travel through. And thus they can stray from what the original story was mm. m- much more easily. Like it's, it's the exact opposite of the night elf problem Yes, that, you know, that, that like the original night elf can just be like, no, this is the story. And I'm telling you the way it was 10,000 years ago and whatnot. Like for the kobolds to remember even something like a hundred years ago, it's a completely different context than, you know, even humans. Cause that's really only what two, maybe three generations of humans. And I don't know what the lifespan on a kobold is, but it feels like, you know, that would be it's the like equivalent. 20 or something like that. I don't remember yeah. why I thought that. I know the Hosen are also really short-lived like that, or they only live to be like 25 max. That's because the Hosen are stupid. No, no. <laughs> also, first of all, how dare you? I like the Hosen. Oh, man, could you imagine a Hosen creation myth? I want to hear that in game. Oh, and uh, then you, the Ook Duker. I was going to say, if you Ook enough stuff in the Duke, you're not going to live that long. <laughs> well said. Huh. Okay. So, um, anyway, let's 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 finish up the story here. So, yeah. uh, was it uh, ta- Tallow and and uh, Twig? Twig? They get up, mm-hmm. they see the sky, and then they go back. They they go back, but they they bring a flower because they're like, okay, we can't bring back the sun, uh, or they we can't bring back the wickless candle, but we want to show that this is true, and so they pick one of the flowers in the fields, uh, and by the time Twig and Tallow get back down to their burrows, uh, it turns out Granny is starting the road to passing away like she's dying uh and like they kind of mentioned that granny had an illness uh but she was also old as well and so when they were up in the i guess for lack of a better word the field of flowers um all their injuries started healing they're like oh these are magical flowers like they can heal us so they get the idea they're like okay let's let's bring granny up to the sun and like um twig enlists the help of a bunch of other kobolds and they start digging like a wide tunnel so they can actually all like they they make this secure tunnel to go to the surface by working together uh and they bring granny up and they place her in the flowers and 
you know, Twig is all upset because she doesn't get better. She's she's still dying. And she's like, it's my time to go. It's time for my candle to snuff out because, you know, like there's no wax left. Basically, she's like, I'm old and it's my time to go. But uh, like, enjoy, you know, enjoy the, the wickless candle and that sort of thing. And uh, at the end, Twig decides to go and embark on her own adventure and to follow the wickless candle like across the sky. So uh, she actually just totally disembarks and she like goes to climb the highest mountains and stuff uh, using her grandma's pickaxe. But uh, I thought that was a really kind of cool thing because I'm like, I don't I don't think we don't encounter any single kobolds out in the world, really. They're very much uh, like a kind of close knit society, I think. So kobold adventurer. Katie's like, yay, I want to see a kobold adventurer. <laughs> now I want to see like, you know, at some point, like the next time they put in like a, a, a high mountain on like yeah. Azeroth surface, there needs to be like either a, like a little cobalt settlement there, maybe like, you know, like Twig Town or something like uh, they're founded by Twig and this or, is all um, Twig's ancestors or Whisker Snout. I think yeah. Whisker Snoot, I think is like the, the cobalt clan name. So it'd be like Whisker Snoot, I don't know, Township or something like that. But yeah, I th- that would be really cute. Like I'd love to see something like that or like even Actually, like a stop point. What was the name of the, the clan in, uh, in, in high mountain because that could that that would be a high place for them to go it, i don't think it was whiskers note but i'll look uh have check, have to, yeah i have to go double check, check that. out if there's a connection there yeah because that would that be would really be cool. cute um so. but yeah so i don't want to say we saved the best for last because it is also the last story but i think i don't know this this one was again one of my favorites as all of them are but this one touches on a character that's dear to a lot of people. Um, so this is uh, Kronormu, which most people may know as Kromi, uh, the bronze dragon. And the story is called Visage Day, and it's written by none other than Steve Denuser. So, he's, Yeah, he's another one. I feel like n- nothing but good things for this guy in the future. I, I want to see more of what he writes. <laughs> yep. Definitely a totally unknown gem in the rough there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah so it starts out and this this is one of those cool things that i it might be somewhere hidden in the azerothian dragon lore that i didn't know but they talk about visage day which uh to those of you that aren't familiar with the dragon flights of azeroth they i think after they reach either a certain age or a certain power level um because i'm not sure that all dragons ever reach the point where they can do this but dragons can transform that can take on what they would call like a I guess, mortal state or a like denizen of Azeroth state so they can blend in with the, I don't know. Do they call them mortal races? I'm trying to think of what their their term was for the other denizens of Azeroth. But so they can basically blend in with like trolls and orcs and humans and that sort of thing. On this, what they do is they, each dragon when they come of age, uh, chooses their own form, what they want to look like when they go to walk it with, like into the towns of mortals when they go and interact with uh, the other denizens of Azeroth, uh, not in their dragon form, because that's probably pretty intimidating to the average person. Um, But this ceremony where they choose who they're going to look like or what they're going to look like is called Visage Day, like a visage ceremony. Um, And it's kind of like a coming of age ceremony where you get to choose your identity, which is really cool. And I, I really liked that. Uh, and I hadn't heard of that in the lore before, but I had a lot of questions about how they decided to choose their shape because I thought that was always really interesting. 
like because each dragon always has their special uh race that they turn into like some of them like we ebonhorn is uh, a tauren uh i'm trying to remember i think reha um i'm trying to remember what her old dragon uh, Rhea Straza, the, Rhea Straza, the, the goblin. Yes. yeah yep she was the, the goblin. goblin like one of the few but uh like they come in all shapes and sizes um it's really cool go ahead well, now, now I'm trying to think about this because we know when, uh, we know when, uh, the aspects become dragons because mm-hmm. we, we've read Dawn of the Aspects and we know that that was well before, uh, you know, well before, you know, the night elves were even around. I mean, the, the world was very young back in the day. Right. But so at that point, it doesn't make sense for them to have visages because there's no bipedal races for them to take visages of. Right. But now we can look at them, and we know in particular Alex Straza, her visage is of a high elf. Mm-hmm. So, assuming that she didn't change her visage at some point, which is possible, I suppose, I, don't, I mean, even though they go through the ceremony, I don't see why they couldn't decide, like, you know what, I've been this way for thousands of years, mm-hmm. I'm ready to try something different. Maybe there's like a visage day two ceremony that they can go through. <laughs> so, but assuming they don't do that, then... I would have to think that this this ceremony, this process, because even then, like Deathwing, or I guess Naltharian, his visage was of a human. Yep. And Onyxia, and so the, too. Right. And so the humans and the High Elves are fairly recent evolutions in Azerothian lore. Yes. Well, like, and I'm trying to remember, I don't think there are any dragons that take, that, that might not be true. I was trying to remember if there are any dragons that take on the form of an orc. Right, because like, Coriel Stras does, but he? that's only when he goes to Draenor. Right, and I think and he's doing. He's and I think he's doing that there, not out of any affinity for the the right the appearance. He's doing that just for sheer survival. Right, so that's one of those things where it's like I think a lot of times it may change with dragons that are uh, newer, but like you think about races that weren't here originally, like Draenei and orcs. Um, uh, so like. You wouldn't think that a lot of dragons would turn into those. I don't. I'm trying to see, trying to remember if there are any dragons that take on drawn eye forms. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, when did when did Rathion have his visage day? Because he right? turns into Rathion very young. Well, so that's one of those things where it's like I wonder if it's also it's not just an age, but also like a power level. Because Rathion is a direct descendant of Deathwing. Right. Uh, and so I almost wonder if you're more powerful like that. I, part of the way I think that the dragons mature, which is, again, pure theory, but uh, the ones that are not direct descendants of the aspects are less powerful. So it takes them longer to mature into the type of magic that would allow them to transform uh, into mortals or the, the mortal visages. Um, whereas... Like Rathion, and this also might just be part of the survival thing, right? He he turns into well his human visage uh, right. very early on because Rathion's like what maybe eight or nine now. <laughs> like he's not very yeah, he's old. Still, he's still a baby. You're absolutely right. Even though he's like a full grown dragon, like in the cinematic, right. but you're like um, <laughs> full grown. Dra- he's like a full grown dude now. He's not that little like teenager with the little. Little hat that we knew for so long, you know, they, they grow up so fast. Well, I mean, this dragon form is immense. Like, he's just yes. like a little whelpling back in Pandaria. Now he's, I mean, to be well, fair, love Rathion. So, well, I wonder there. if, I wonder if one, I think 
very clearly black dragons have an affinity for humans because yes. I think most yep. black dragons that we run into, they take a human form. So maybe they don't participate in Visage Day the same way, that that's just kind of the way that they go. Although then that's interesting because, again, humans are fairly recent. So what did black dragons do before they did? Or maybe they just, they're just they just drawn to whichever race tends to be the most powerful. And I think you could argue that humans are one of the more powerful races on the planet at the moment. Well, actually, they go. Um, so, and I don't want to jump too far in the story, but uh, Kronormu actually winds up going and visiting Onyxia, which I was very yes. excited to see Onyxia. And she talks about how humans are really easy to manipulate. She's like, oh, yes, they're kind of stupid, but they're kind of powerful too. And that's why I chose this form, is so I could blend in with them, but manipulate them. Uh, and so that's one of those things where it's like, there aren't many black dragons left. Uh, there's very few, in fact. Uh, but like, Ebonhorn is a Tauren, and he's been there for ages, right? That's so we true, know that yes. they do take other forms, and different That's ones true. may have blended in with older races as well, which also leaves the floor open for potentially more dra- more black dragons to appear in the lore that we didn't know were there. Like in the Night Elf Society, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some, uh, or something to that effect. So, um, But yeah, so I guess if we want... So Visage Day... The ceremony itself uh, is more about just celebrating what form the dragon chooses. Like, there's no magic that happens at that ceremony besides the dragon transforming in front of everyone. It's kind of like a, I don't know, it's like kind of like a confirmation almost, where it's like yeah. uh, people are there to support you and respect like this uh, event happening to you. But you could very well do this without anyone being there. Uh, it's just supposed to be a celebration. Um, but it's kind of it seems like it's a fairly big deal in dragon culture to have this uh, ceremony and so uh, <laughs> understandably uh, Kronormu is pretty nervous uh, so <laughs> and I say he in the beginning and we'll get to it later because most of you know Kromi as she and Again, this is another one of those stories that I loved because they finally addressed it. Now, whether or not it just happened to be like one of those things they could put in or if it was a thing from the very beginning, I don't know. Um, But yeah, so Kronormu's like sweating over like, what am I supposed to be? What do I want to represent me? This is a big decision. Like, I I don't know that they can change it. Maybe they can. But he's like, he makes it sound like you can't Uh, or like it's it would be a big deal to try and change it again, right? Um, maybe because, like, the ceremony's a big deal, and I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but, so he's being indecisive, and he's like, okay. Uh, his friend drops by, and she's like, okay, well, maybe you should go see Nors Dormu. Like, he's our aspect, you know, he's all wise. Go ask him, you'll feel better. And so... <laughs> I love this part of the story where Kronormu is like circling um, the the ca- it's not the caverns of time but it's the um, the the it's the part oh, in the, 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 the chunk where it's in um, Northrend where you go the wor- what room the Wormrest Temple yes well he's is he in or I thought she was in or, uh, or no 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 it's, it's the, 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 uh, the oh yes it's the it's uh, not the shrine it's the the, 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 the bronze area yeah where they have the little where yes. you go and you do that you do that one quest where you, you see you have to yourself do it twice yeah yes. you do it in the past and then you do it in the future yes uh, yeah gosh i it's like a sanctuary not the, not the readout 
is it the not the bronze redoubt? What is it called? You're right. I this can't is, remember what it's called. It says the bro- oh bronze dragon shrine, but like I feel yeah. like it has a specific name. Anyway, so he goes yeah. there and he sees Norse Dormammu, this you know giant aspect of time, like you know giant dragon, all imposing. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah, he's like he's circling and he keeps like dipping down to go to land and then he like pulls out and goes back up and he just circles again he's like okay i'm gonna do it this time nope nope okay wait no this time it's just funny because like when he finally decides to land and go go in a lot of the younger drakes are kind of chuckling and they're like oh because they watched him uh (laughs) yeah yeah i've just i I guess i laughed because like i've definitely done that (laughs) before Mm -hmm. so i related quite heavily to that part uh but he goes in to see norse dormu and Norse Dormu essentially is like, well, like, this is very important. Think about it. Think about who you want to represent yourself as. Uh, and if you have questions, you know, because like, at first, Cronormu uh, is like, can you tell me what I'm going to be? Because, like, I know it's kind of against the rules, but could you, like, you know, just tell me what I'm going to choose so I don't have this anxiety of needing to choose? And he's like, well, I know that's probably cheating. And Norse Dormu is like, hold on, just, just breathe, breathe for a moment. Let's take a step back. Why don't you go and ask people what their why they chose their visages? Like not just your friends, but like go and ask people you don't know and see why they decided to take the forms they they have. Uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, and uh, so he does. He first goes out to actually meet um, Kalik, uh, Kalistraz, the blue dragon. Before this is long before Kalistraz uh, was the aspect, uh, and he meets him. Like kind of on this little on the shelf uh, near, it's not, it's not. Is it the caldera? Yeah, up in caldera. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, for some reason I thought that was the wrong word, but yeah, he meets him by the caldera and he takes on his human form. And Norse Dorm. Okay. Oh, not, not go ahead. I thought Caleb was a half elf. Yeah, sorry. He he takes on a half elf form. You're right. Uh, his in-game model makes him look like he's just human. Uh, yeah. What what is a half elf? <laughs> I mean, they have. I would guess they have slightly pointier ears and no, it's, it's just, glowing eyes. It's just eyes, like a, a human with like intravision. I've played enough of them in D anD. d Anyway, Chronormu um, uh, is surprised because he's like, you know, he's thinking of a, all the other blue dragons. In large part, have what he would probably describe as flashier forms. Uh, you know, a lot of them are elves or whatnot, and Kalik. Kalik actually uh, gives uh, Kronormu the insight, like, you need to, you should probably have a nickname when you're with the humans, because that's a lot easier for them to digest than our whole dragon name, right? Like, find something that's kind of short. Like, I used only the first part of my my dragon name, and Kronormu was like, oh, interesting, okay. And you chose to be this half-elf, and he's kind of like, why? And he's like, well, I can blend in better with the mortals. Like, I, I can actually walk amongst them, but I can still feel like the two halves of myself, right? I can feel the mortal guise that I have, but I also feel the dragon. And so by taking on a human and an elf, I kind of feel the same, uh, like where I have a a foot in each pond, so to speak. Um, And uh, and so um, Kronormu kind of digests this and Kalix like, okay, one last thing. It's like, think about how you want like the mortals to feel when they interact with you, like, do you want to inspire fear? Do you want to inspire, like, uh, not even understanding, but like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a sense of ease, I guess. Like calm, yeah. Yeah, like uh, they, you're not off-putting essentially. Like they, except for the blue hair. 
Because <laughs> it's well, like the blue is important, though. It is, but like he says, so okay, like he, again, like what you say, Chronorm is like okay, so your hair in. For those of you that don't know Calyx in-game model, it's like almost like electric blue. Like it's this really rich, uh, very vibrant. I guess it's more like a royal blue, but um, he's like, why the blue hair? And he's like, well, I that's just me. Like, that's just what I wanted. It fits me. It suits who I am. And that's what he says. He says, it just suits me. Yes, it just suits me. Um, and so Kornormu thanks Calyx for their time. Uh, and they fly off to go meet someone that has very different opinions. And this is, I, I got a little overexcited for this part because we don't get a lot of lore for this particular character. Like we do, but only after we've started fighting her. Um, uh, so he goes and he meets Anixia and it talks about how uncomfortable he is uh, in the dragon black dragon lair, which makes sense because it's Anixia's lair, I would guess. Um, and uh, <laughs> He goes and he talks to Anixia, and like we kind of said earlier, uh, he's like, why did you choose your visit today for him? Like, at first she's like, why have you come here? Like, giving off these super strong, very, uh, I guess, ingr- uh, aggressive or... Um, Almost predatory. Yeah, vibes. predatory. Like, that's a good word for it. Like, she's definitely making poor uh, Kronormu sweat under the collar a little bit. Well, that's uh, also because there's so much lava in there. It's very hot. I mean, they're dragons, though, so I feel like that probably isn't the thing. That's like, yeah. He's really sweating. He's like, yeah, it's just... It's, yeah. But anyway, so she talks about how humans... Like, she took a human visage because it's easier to manipulate them. Uh, and she kind of makes a vague comment about it. It's like, because she, she took a visage of this, like, beautiful, seductive woman so she can easily seduce them into doing what she wants them to do. Uh, and... They kind of talk about how Kronormu's looking around and he's like, this is this, clearly like she doesn't treat her. Uh, I don't want to call them servants, but they basically are. She's like, they're not treated well here. Like there's a bunch of them that are wounded that haven't been healed. Like, you know, this is clearly all about power um, and kind of like intimidation. And um, I don't know, like. Yes, not not subtlety, but subtlety. Subterfuge, but I'm having trouble with my words. Like obfuscation, a little bit. Yeah, like, Um, but 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 like straight up, like manipulation and domination. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, um, you know, uh, actually, at the end, which Chronormu kind of, it almost kind of feels like an aside to the viewer that they they say this, but like, uh, Onyxia is like, yes, and if you join me, I can show you how to do all these things, how to manipulate and serve, and then Chronormu is like. They kind of make the, the point that he's like, I feel like she's just toying with me, so I'm going to go. And he just like pretty much straight up books it out of there. Um, but uh, then it, it's his visage day, so it kind of skips forward a little bit after that. And it, he finds out that um, Alex Straza is going to be the one that's like the, I don't know, what's a good word for it? Like she's the one that's not initiating his ceremony, but... Like the MC? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. She's the hostess? I don't know. Yeah, she's she's the one that's like not she's the one that's like introducing him at his visage day. Officiating, maybe? Officiating, yeah, I think that's the right word for it. Um and so uh Kornormu stands up in front of uh, largely it's bronze drakes, but like Kalik Kalikos is there, uh, and even Onyxia shows up, interestingly enough. 
of course, like in the back. And she's like, mm, I'm just kind of like going to stand away from everyone else because I'm too good for you. Um, but Pronormu uh, kind of takes the stage after um, Alex Strazia like kind of introduces him, even though everyone knows who he is. Uh, and Cronormu had prepared this like long speech and instead decides to talk from the heart about um, who he wants to be. Uh, and when he takes his form, uh, he takes the form of Chromie, the female gnome that we know so well. Uh, and at one point, I think it's uh, Kalik that asks, um, he's like, so why did you pick this form? And she gives him the same line. It's like, it just suits me. Uh, which is great. So then, yeah. yes. So, Chrono yeah, like, is now she. Which is, I think, I think that's how they. Uh, I, like, I don't know. This is one of those things where I, from there, from there on out, where they address Chromi. Chromi is she, but Chronormu is always he. So, like, I forgive me for this because this is just one of those like lore things that I'm interested in. But I'm wondering if dragons, while they re address him or her as Chronormu address Kronormu as him and Chromie as she. I don't know if there's like a separation there or I if they're a think, they. I think it's I, I think, think it's a transition. She, so I, I, think I think it's think a she's she. she's a she now. now. I think e so. E even though she's in dragon form, she's still Kronormu, I think. Yeah, I think she's so. She's a she then. It's just like yeah. at that, like after she turns into Chromie, that doesn't say Kronormu and then use a she pronoun after that again. So like that's one of those things where yeah. I... I I'm not trying to like. They may not even know. About. Yeah, and it's very possible that Kronormu might even identify with they. Um, we need to see. We need to see uh, Chromie's Twitter. Twitter. Uh, bio yes, pronouns. So we can see her pronouns. Probably he, she, and they. Like it. It's one of those where, like, at the end, it doesn't really matter. But it was a really sweet story about, uh, you know, Kronormu finding themselves uh, yes. as whoever they want to be, and it's. I mean. And they kind of like hint at like, you know, Kronormu Kromi being like, I want to be a gnome because they're very approachable and they're small and they're not threatening, you know. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like having that like perky, happy, approachable gnome, which honestly, every time I see Kromi sitting somewhere, I'm like skipping up to her. I'm like, Kromi, I haven't seen you forever. And she's like, didn't I just see you? Oh, wait, no, maybe it's been a while. <laughs> But yes, a very beloved character, and this was a a great story to confirm a lot of uh, theorized lore about that character. Yes, I, I think there's still there. I think as our discussion earlier indicates, there's I think there's still some 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 uh, rules to be hashed out around how Visage Day works. Yeah, because um, there, 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 there's a little bit of questions that we have about that. But other than that, I mean, it's just a. It's a, it's, the story tells the story that it needs to tell and it does it in a very uh, caring way hmm. and I mean when I could tell when uh, when Kaleck was like uh, it just suits me and I'm like that's coming back yep <laughs> that's coming back later and it's I'm like, back. it does and you're like oh they brought it back it was very well done so I I, I, I enjoyed that one um, Stones Moss and, and Tears still, still hit harder but that was just me I mean your mileage may vary on any of these but uh I mean, I, I do love all the different themes in this book, though. That's one of those things that I feel like the book encompasses very well. Like, it has found family. It has people finding themselves. It has people finding love. Uh, you know, it 
it really just like it covers all it you know it has that good like horror story um of the the, the cautionary tale right um it, it kind of has the like creation stories like it has a little bit of everything in there um <laughs> of course i have to keep saying that my probably my very favorite that ekes out right at the top is the the uninvited guest just cuz i love that goblin story <laughs> i will always love goblins um but yeah, there's there wasn't a single bad story in here, and I love all the different messages that it's trying to send, and I love. The, I'll just come out and be like, I love the inclusiveness of this book, like telling stories that aren't just all like, I don't know, like binary or like, uh, romance that are like cis romances or anything like that. Like it, it just feels very well done and it feels more inclusive to me i probably shouldn't i don't want to be like the authority on that but i i just appreciated that it covered a lot of different uh i don't know it, it makes azerothian lore feel a lot richer and i'm glad that they just are able to incorporate things well it's also nice too because well in the game and, and you know whenever we get one of the novels that focus on the main characters from the game everything's always high stakes mm -hmm. yeah everything's always you know you know, things are super important. And, you, you know, one of the complaints we get is like, oh, I'm, I'm tired of, uh, you know, everything being about the world ending. I just want to go back to being like a guy that does random quests in like, you know, in Feralos or something. Right. And this is, this kind of harkens to that. These mm -hmm. are, you know, instead of getting a book, you know, like we're waiting for Grimoire of the Shadowlands. That's yes. going to be massive in a completely different way. Yes. Uh, you know, we have, you know, the, the Sylvanas novel coming at some point. Mm -hmm. That's going to be massive in a completely different way. This here, this is the literary equivalent of some side quests. Yep. Just, you know, uh, like 200 some odd pages of side quests. Very well written. Very well, you know, with, with great illustrations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. It, it feels like almost like a no-brainer. Like Azeroth is such a large world. Like they should take the time to explore some of the nooks and crannies. Yeah. And it's good that they did because they, they got to put some stuff in there that uh, you know, I, I, as I said, I don't think there was a a bad story in the bunch here. No, like I don't they, think they so. were all. I mean, they, you know, they, they were all you know twelve heavy hitters. Yeah, well, and this is one of those where like I would love to see a second volume of this come out with more creation stories, like more found family stories, more discovering yourself stories, love stories, whatever. Like they did such a good job covering. I don't know a lot of races we don't always hear from. Uh, and that made me really happy. I know I said that last time, but I'm absolutely tickled that there was a cobalt story in here. <laughs> <laughs> and a goblin story. Yes. I love my goblins. That's the best part is that we got the torn and the goblin stories in yes. there. So Just, as long as each one of these is a torn and a goblin story, we'll, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be buying them till the end of time. I mean, you could probably put anything in there and I'll buy it. Cause I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to stay on brand. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> just a simp for anything that's warcraft lore i can't help it just just take my buddy <laughs> all right well anyway we're, we're going quite long here so let's go ahead and yes. wrap this up uh so thank you to Jarrett for producing thank you to kurabara for editing thank you everyone at home for downloading and listening we are at torn goblin on twitter also at the mash network find us on facebook at facebook.com slash mash those buttons also on youtube at youtube.com slash mash those buttons Katie, where can people find you? You can find me, as always, on Twitter at HyroleMasters77. And I am at WookieBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, where I talk about Warcraft news and guild management, and also on the show 
Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast, where we talk about Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And uh, this week, I think we're talking about the Cerberus side quest. So go check that Ooh. out. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at mash.gg slash mtb. And email us your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of all of the stories in uh, Folk and Fairy Tales at torngoblin at mash.gg. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. Visit mtb.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain early access to content as well as to patron-exclusive content. And you can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate <laughs> link as well as our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtb.gg support. And stay tuned to hear about our other shows on the Mash Those Buttons network. Our next episode is scheduled to record live at twitch.tv slash mashthosebuttons on August 18th at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. But check Twitter for any updates. We're going to try to talk about Grimoire. Yes. It all depends when we get Grimoire. So if we get Grimoire on like the 17th, Amazon might... better not lie to me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, not again. Not again, I Amazon. I'm watching Amazon. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, if we get Grimoire with enough time, we'll talk about it. If not, then we may have to bump that recording. But uh, Just follow us on Twitter to check that out. But Katie, I'm Nick. Ancestors watch over you. Time is folk and fairy tales, friends. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash themashnetwork, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash discord. 